Have you ever watched the movie Sneakers and wondered if companies like that really exist? Well, they do. And we've got the head of one of those companies here as our guest this week. I'm super excited. Man, his stories are amazing. And uh, we learn what it's like to attack companies essentially on their behalf, (laughs) right? Basically, he's the head of a red team. And uh, boy, was this a fun episode. I hope you like it too. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. And I have with me my Google Sheet consultant, Persona Maliandi. How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis. I have years and years of experience with Google Sheets. So. <laughs> yeah, so so we've been we've been going through this, uh, you know, as of my recent purchase, two weeks now as of as of yesterday. I now have my proud owner of a Tesla Model 3 base model, 270 miles of range. And I've been trying to figure out whether or not it makes sense for those that don't live here, electricity that here being San Diego, electricity is very expensive. And you have to choose, you have all these plans to choose from that offer different costs for different times of the day, right? It's a time of use plans, especially for those of us that have solar. And uh, there is an EV plan that offers super cheap rates, you know, way late at night, but it pumps up the rates, the other rates, one of them ridiculously so. It goes from 50 cents a kilowatt hour to 81 cents a kilowatt hour for the for the peak time, which is 4 to 9 p.m. <clears throat> so I was like, uh, I'm not sure if this will work out for us, right? I could, I could potentially save a lot of money. I could potentially cost myself a lot of money. So I created this gigantic spreadsheet Persona's been helping me through it. What do you think? How, how do you think we are on the? On yeah, the no, I think I think your spreadsheet makes sense. Um, I think it's not too. I'm actually surprised that no one has built an online calculator to do this. I should have just given this to ChatGPT. <laughs> here's my usage, ChatGPT. Here's my usage for the year because that's what I have. Is I have my usage for the peak off peak and super off peak periods for the last year and then plug in the rates for all of those and then the new rates for all of those and it turns out in my case the break-even point was if i'm going to charge at least 80 kilowatt hours per week in my tesla then it makes sense to switch over which Which is like 250 or it's like 350 miles right yeah which is not going to be a problem based on my driving patterns yeah there's a 16 dollar a month thing to be on that plan um and I, but, but I why don't do they charge you 16 dollars a month that's just highway robbery you know i don't know, I don't know. It, it's not like anything really changes you're still paying it's, the transmission fees it's called a utility it's called a monopoly <laughs> <laughs> you can't just go get electricity somewhere else right yeah, you can live in a city that provides its own electricity like me oh shut up persona <laughs> Persona pay, what is it, 15 cents a kilowatt hour? So we pay 12 cents a kilowatt hour for the first 300 kilowatt hours. And then it goes up. Get this. It goes up. It's astonishingly astonishingly high to 14 cents. (laughs) (laughs) And this is no time of use. You just use it whenever you want. Yeah. So in order to do that, I just have to move from San Diego, where the average home price is a million, up to Santa Clara, where the average home price is twice that. That's what I have to do to... Santa Clara is not as expensive as the rest of the Bay. So it's only like 1.8 million? 
Yeah, you can get like one and a half, maybe <laughs> something. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see that. Yeah, that's a lot of miles anyway. driving in your car to make up that half a million dollar difference. It is. I would be driving probably back and forth from here to there, <laughs> stopping, stopping at a supercharger along the way. Uh, anyway, our guest, uh, I'm sure, has got to be antsy at this point. He, uh, let's bring him on. Our guest today has specialized in offensive cybersecurity for over 20 years. He's the CTO and red team leader at Pulsar Security, which offers a comprehensive package of services designed to bring maximum security benefits at minimal cost without sacrificing quality. He's also a host of the Security This Week podcast. Welcome to the pod, Dwayne LaFlotte. Yeah, great, great to be here. Thank you so much for uh, for the invite. Um, and I was I was itching at that electricity talk. Do you use any solar or no solar? Yeah, Not I have solar, solar, but the solar oh, wow. system was designed for when I didn't have an EV. Uh, all I'm saying is, how do they read how much electricity you use? They use that smart um, meter outside, right? Yeah, the smart meter. Yeah, and they drive yeah. by. And they pick yeah. up a 900 megahertz signal or a 2.4 gigahertz signal oh, from I that like meter. The, I, like the I'm just saying, I like where you're going. With this. <laughs> if you were to saturate that band, uh, you probably would be using no electricity. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> and this so, is so, what my job is. How do we break, how do we break these things? Where they just so unfortunately, <laughs> Dwayne, for me, so we have a smart meter too, but what our city has done is they've put basically Wi-Fi access points all throughout the city. And so you get free Wi-Fi anywhere in Santa Clara, which is great. But at the same time, they don't have to drive by anymore. And it just automatically connects to those and downloads yeah. the data. But the other thing that's interesting is your smart meter. It probably has a MAC address to connect into that particular thing. So if you D off your own smart meter, it will never connect to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Jeez. You would, of course, not suggest doing such it. things, but you're no, saying... No, of course not. That would theoretically be, uh, irresponsible. Theoretically, yeah. from a <laughs> networking red team standpoint, it might be what I would do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> if, perchance, you were doing a, right. a pen test for uh, SDG&E. Yes, or, um, yes. Right. Is, is um, this where you guys put the legal disclaimer in the, the yeah. podcast? Oh, actually, you know what? I should... Says. Yeah, yeah. No, what I, well, what I will show it is our, our usual disclaimer that this is an independent podcast and the opinions that you hear are ours, not our employers if we have one. And uh, also, if you want to be a part of the conversation, please reach out to me at WCurtisPreston at Gmail or uh, WCPreston on Twitter or LinkedIn.com slash IN slash MR Backup. That's Mr. Backup on LinkedIn. And uh, we'll get you on here and talk about what you like to talk about. Uh, as long as it's stuff we like to talk about. <laughs> um, anyway, so so Dwayne, f for those that I think most people probably know about red team and blue team, but why don't you tell mm. us what a red team is? Isn't there a purple team? There is. Yeah, purple's purple's yeah. kind of the new thing. Um, it used to be they would just pit the teams against each other. So uh, blue team is defense, right? It's the guys who really like reading through logs and looking for bad guys. Um, the, the red team, we're, uh, we're the offensive team. So we like pretending to be the bad guys, um, and thinking all of the, well, how could I get my smart meter off of the electric grid thoughts? Um, and then putting those in action, um, and, and, and attacking an organization. And that involves everything from, um, you know, cause a lot of people throw around terms like pen testing, 
or vulnerability scanning or red teaming. And those are three very different things. From the red teaming side, it's holistically looking at the company. So it's everything from the employees um, to what sites they view, uh, you know, from the company to uh, who are your partners as a company that we could use to maybe leverage to get into the organization um, to uh, we've had teams. Uh, the reason I talk about jamming sensors and whatnot, we actually do have teams that will physically break in organizations. Um, and I can tell you that all the motion sensors on most alarms are 900 megahertz, and I can saturate that, walk through a building without a motion sensor going off. So there's like all sorts of really cool <laughs> things that we as a red team will be trained to do. It looks very much like thievery, um, but we're the good guys, I promise. So that's, that's our job. And purple is the mix, right? It's people who know a little bit of that offensive and a little bit of defensive um, just to be better on both sides. So it, it, would another term for that be ethical hacking? Yes. Yeah. Ethical hacking um, is definitely another term people use for that. They, people have moved away from ethical hacking um, a little bit more to more focused terms because cybersecurity is so big at this point. Um, right. It used to be like if you were in cyber, you kind of did the same thing. You looked a little bit at you know offensive, you did a little bit of coding, you did a little bit of whatever. Um, and, and that ethical hacker is really that generalist. Um, and then you move into like the really focused sides of even offensive cybersecurity. Like if we just talk about offensive, um, I have people on my team who are reverse engineers. So what they mm. will do is tear apart a system, take, um, there's one company we broke into the company through a TV, um, that, that was sitting in their lobby that was connected <laughs> to Wi-Fi. So how do we do that? We literally bought one of the TVs tore it apart, um, attached a, a bus pirate and a JTAGulator to the, the, the system, ripped the firmware off the chips and read through the firmware and found an exploit and then use that to, to break into the TV. Um, that's a specialty in and of itself. Then you have, right. you know, your, your web developers who are really good offensive, you know, web certified experts who know how to tear apart things like Angular and .NET and understand how all that works, but wouldn't necessarily be your reverse engineers and wouldn't necessarily be your network guys who are offensive network who understand, you know, spanning trees and how I can manipulate a network and how MDNS works and like how to break all that who are entirely different from the guys who are cloud like how to manipulate pulling universal keys from the cloud and how to get the cloud to how to get two clouds to attack each other because they're never going to block each other like that's all tactics as well so it's definitely like been been specialized since the ethical hacking term came out that is like my sorry my mind is just like blown just hearing what you just talked about because that covers such a broad spectrum right and I wonder when people think about defending themselves from hackers, right? Are they sort of pigeonholing themselves? Because I know, Curtis, we've always talked about, okay, make sure you prevent lateral movement. Make sure that you have multi-factor authentication, right? All the rest of these things. But there's, like you were saying, Dwayne, there's other ways, like through partners, through like that TV, right? Yeah. You didn't even think about that as an <laughs> IT person, maybe. And you're like, ah, it's right. just a TV, whatever. Right. Of course, I, yeah. I would... T tell me, tell me, Dwayne, tell me, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. And it's totally okay. Cause this is not my bag. The, the, the problem, the, the, the uh, mistake that that company made was that this smart TV, this network based TV was on the same network that the rest of every, that the rest of their corporation was on. Yes. Yeah. So part of it, absolutely. This particular customer, it was on the same network. Um, but what we have seen before is a guest network, right? 
um, isolated, no devices. And then we'll see people connected to the guest network who are also connected to the executive, to the internal network. And the reason they do that is because in the lobby, they don't get the corporate network. So they're like, oh, well, the guest network's here, so I'll connect to it. So what's really nice is once they connect to it, like when they leave the building, we can emulate the guest network. They'll connect to us. We'll drop a piece of uh, malware or, or a capture portal or whatnot on their, on their device. When they walk it back into the building, that portal will then beacon out to us. And now we have access to the corporate network. So, you know, we, we definitely see even though you isolate it, you can't pull the humans out of the system, unfortunately, for the most part. Yeah. So if we um, could just we'll get rid of all those damn users, the, our computer system <laughs> would be a so lot easy. Yeah. yeah, a lot safer. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I When I talk to somebody like you, I've, I've, had, I've had a handful of conversations with, you know, folks on the offensive side uh, throughout my career. And I always walk away just super depressed. I'm just like, <laughs> like, why even try, you know? Um, yeah. You know, Did you have that story, Curtis, about the guy who with the various uniforms who would break in to buildings? Oh yeah, I mean yeah. So I I, I know a guy that does physical uh, pen testing, mm-hmm. right? Um, and his job is is to physically get into a place that he's not allowed to be, take a yeah. selfie, and you know GTFO, right? And right. Um, and he just uh, and he just told me he's like I have never, never not been able to get into where I was supposed to get into. Right. Yeah. It, it's all about social engineering and, and it sometimes it's about uh, uh, card scanning. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. scanning somebody's uh, uh, what are those called? The patch. I don't call them badge, but yeah, RFID. That's what I was saying. The RFID cards, badges. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I heard I heard a talk. Um, you know, it was uh, Kevin Mitnick once talking about, you know, the scanning badges in a bathroom, which just it was just wrong, but it was, yeah, it was just like, it's just so easy. Weird. Right? You're just a little weird, a little weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, well, let me ask you. So, here, so here's what's funny. So it, when I think back, I, I'm a, I'm a big movie buff, right? Yeah. When I think back, the only like red team type stuff that I've seen depicted, uh, a lot or like an entire movie based around it was sneakers. Yes. Um, do you remember that movie? Oh my god, fantastic movie, Sneakers. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. pretty good, right? I mean, it's yes. yeah. it's funny. I immediately thought of Sneakers when you were talking about the motion sensors because you remember what they did. Yes. They raised the, they raised the temperature of the entire room to ninety eight point six. And what's so what's would... funny about that is mm-hmm. that's not far off. So you know, looking <laughs> from my red team's like as the red team leader, mm-hmm. I'm playing Robert Redford's job. Right. So I'm going through an understanding like, okay, cool. We got this target. How do we attack it? And, And I have my specialists. I have my mother who who understands, you know, sensors and and understands, you know, uh, different wavelengths and signals and that sort of stuff. And I, you know, I have my. Uh, you know, my, my face guy who's good at talking to people and that sort of thing. So I'm planning this out. I'm like, okay, here's how we're going to attack. Here's how we're going to do whatever we do. But looking mm-hmm. at sneakers from, from my perspective, my job, right. you go, okay, cool. Well, they got access to the temperature control system. Is that even possible? Um, mm-hmm. and, and sure enough, about, uh, about a month ago, we were pen testing a bank 
um, I, I like to call it the bank job. We were doing the bank job, um, <laughs> and and as we were as we were doing the bank job, this is uh, it's about a month ago. So it was in May, early May, cold up here, coldish at night. Um, we did, sure enough, get access to the HVAC system, um, and and what could we have done with it? We were like, okay, we could shut it off. Um, and it gets cold enough at night where maybe pipes freeze and burst and that sort of stuff. We could crank it up, I guess. But then, you know, I started thinking about sneakers. I was like, oh, my gosh. So if they're using infrared and we could crank it up, we could get in the bill. But, yeah, so it's, you know, it's entirely as you go back and look at that movie. Um, it was impressive how much stuff they got right from, uh, you know, what you might do as a red teamer is very cool. Have you, Persona, have you seen this movie? I'm trying. I don't think I have. It is. Uh, it's a i mean i, I, I don't know yeah i don't know i mean yeah i don't know how much of it is just complete bs but it is a fun <laughs> movie to watch they get i think they get a lot of stuff interestingly right um yes. i mean just the, just the whole thing of like the scene where robert redford's got a bunch of packages he's got balloons and he's like can you can you just buzz me through you know yeah, yeah. um and uh, so what you're telling me Dwayne, is you you play the role of the devastatingly handsome disarming guy who disarms that's what i like to yeah i mean i wouldn't i wasn't going to put that label on it but thank you yes Um, (laughs) but you know honestly it's a great movie to watch i mean you've got really good actors in there you've got robert redford Sidney poitier um, ben kingsley dan Aykroyd, ben kingsley right um yeah, there's uh, River Phoenix. Is in, there's like a ton of really good yeah. actors, and that's fantastic. Yeah. So speaking of movies or entertainment, I know Curtis, you had put me on to a TV show called The Undeclared War. Dwayne, have you seen that? I haven't. I have not seen it. it was yeah. On Peacock. Yeah, it's on okay. Peacock, and it's basically a fictional story about a cyber attack by Russia against the UK. Ooh. Okay, yeah. I'm adding it to my list. I've I've looked it up. I've yeah. added it to my list. I'm excited it's a, about that. Yeah, it's a series. Oh. Go ahead, Persona. Well, and and so go go. Ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say it's it's interesting when we bring up movies and whatnot because you, you find polarizing uh, people in the cybersecurity space. Where some people in cybersecurity are like, oh my god, I can't watch those movies because it's 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 like being a doctor and watching you know, uh, ER and you're like, they would never do any of that crap. Um, and I'm on the other side of it where I'm like, I love watching these movies because they're, they're like, they're part of the, it's the passion of cybersecurity and hacking that I got in the nineties. Right. And I watched hackers and I watched sneakers and I watched war games. And, and it was that, that awe of how could you tear a system apart? How could you make it do things that it was never even designed to do? Um, and, and bend it to your will as a red teamer. And, and that's what these movies and these shows do for me is they bring that, yes. that awe back, right? Um, even though some of it might not technically be true, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's on my, definitely on my list. So given that you do offensive security, right, red teaming, and I know we'll talk more about that, I guess the question is, in your personal life, doesn't it freak you out a bit? Like, what do you do to protect yourself <laughs> against some of this things? You know, like the fact that you're surrounded by this all the time, trying to break things, does that sort of translate into your personal life where you're like, okay, RFIDs can be hacked. So I'm going to get one of those wallets that block RFIDs all the time. Yeah, right. So that's Wi-Fi network. I'm just going to keep everything unplugged all the time. Like nothing comes on my network. Yep. Yeah, it's a great question. And I also have um I have probably three of the uh um 
worst end users from a cybersecurity standpoint you could imagine. I have three <laughs> children, and they're nice. like they'll decide, like you can never tell them what to visit or not visit or click on or not click on. It's just it is what it is. So, um, so it's interesting. It's twofold. One, yes, there are certain things I take into account in my daily life that I notice a lot of people don't like. I use a password manager all the time for all my passwords because. <laughs> You know, using the spreadsheet, if the spreadsheet gets compromised in some way, somebody gets it. I'd rather have a company who focuses on managing passwords. And sometimes they do it wrong, right? Like keep pass. But more often than not, they're going to get it right. So there are little things like that where I get paranoid and I go, yes, I want to do that. I turn on 2FA for everything. I have all of my account and credit locked through the three different, uh, you know, providers, your credit, Equifax and all those guys, uh, Experian and whoever else. So... There are certain things I do because I'm a cybersecurity professional and I can see, you know, we have access to all the deep dark web information <laughs> on all the people. And I'm like, oh my God, I can see all this info. <laughs> but from another standpoint, I worry less because I mm. know how hard it is to break into a smart device. Like I know how mm. hard it is to reverse engineer a chip and figure out a way to break into it. So... From that standpoint, if I just, yeah, you know what? I'm going to set a strong password on my Wi-Fi. Like, I, we have a crack cluster at the office um, that has, at this point, I think it has 40 or 50, um, 30, 90 GPUs mm -hmm. in it. So, and talk about electricity. Woo! Um, yeah. <laughs> you might consider moving that to uh, Prasanna's neighborhood. <laughs> I might have to. I think I'm going to have to. Um, so, we can guess about, we could, if we grab a... a crack a hash from a password so just a little bit for if your users aren't breaking into wireless networks all the time um uh if if i go up to a wireless network i can see all of the clients that are connected because it's all over 2.4 gigahertz wireless everybody can see those signals they're open um, but they're encrypted between the client and the access point but i can tell the client to get off the access point i can de-auth it i can say hey i'm the access point get off the get off the the access point just for a couple minutes and it'll d off that client and then the client when they reconnect will see a handshake right and that handshakes an encrypted password but we can take that and then we can try and crack it <clears throat> so i can then take that handshake take seconds to get i can pull it on my offline cracker and, and our offline cracking device can guess three billion passwords a second wow three billion wow. <laughs> so you say you say to yourself well okay shoot my wireless is probably not secure um, but if you start looking at the math of it, you say, listen, if it's, if your password for your wireless is in any list of passwords ever, right? Um, so if you go to have I been .com, right? And you type in your yeah. wireless password and click check and it's in the list. Yeah. They can get it in seconds, but let's say it doesn't show up on that, that in any list. Now it's a mathematics, uh, problem mm -hmm. to, to brute forcing. So let's say minimum passwords, eight characters, and I can do that in, uh, let's say a day. And it's actually quicker than that. It's about an hour for me to do an eight character, all uppers, lowers, numbers, whatever. If you put nine characters on that, and, and let's say we don't do um, all uppers, we don't do all special characters, we don't do all numbers, that's still 26 times an hour. So we're looking at a day. Now we do, an, we do a 10 character password. It's 26 days. We do an 11 character pattern, right? It, it, now we're ending up at 26 months. We're at two years for us to break that. And that was just all lowercase characters. So the longer that password is, as long as it's not in a list, I personally know how hard it would be to crack. So I'm like, ah, we got a 15 character password. It's reasonably good. Some uppers and lowers. Nobody's going to crack it. It's just not going to happen. Um, so it's a great question because a lot of people are like, you know, oh my gosh. And 
for me, I calm down on certain things, but other things I do reasonable stuff. My Oof. family, however, like my <laughs> wife, like she will get valid emails from family members. She's like, I'm not clicking on that. No, I know. I hear all the dark <laughs> stories. I'm not, I'm not clicking on anything. Like if she gets a phone call from someone, she's like, nope. And I'm like, I, I think that was our bank. She's like, uh-uh. I'm a, I'm, so yeah, I think my family takes the brunt of that. You know, my, my favorite thing, and it used to, it was a different bank that I'm at right now, but they, they would call for basically it was a fraud alert, right? That, that I would mm. have a, I would have a potentially fraudulent charge. And then they would call me, they call me from rando number, right? Yes. Um, and even if it said different number, I wouldn't believe it, but they call me and they're like, this is ABC bank. Um, we'd like to talk to you about a potentially fraudulent charge. Please authenticate yourself. And they want me to like, they want me, like you called me, right? Yeah, exactly. you want, and they're like, this is the process. Like you want me to give you, like they wanted like, like my social or something right. for me to authenticate my, like you called me. Like you, like you don't understand how stupid this is. Like I was so angry. I was oh like, I, like, I'm glad you called me for a fraud alert, but mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I'll call you. Right. Yes. I will call the, the known number for the bank and then I will authenticate myself. I'm not giving my social to some rando who just showed up right. on right. a phone number. Like what what are you thinking? And I think what the the worst part of that, um, you like you're savvy in the security world. So you're like, okay, this this doesn't feel right. But I think right. the worst part is the bank is training their normal, you know, customers right. that this right. is the normal process, yeah. right? We're going right. to call you. So when they get a call from a spammer, they're like, oh, well, this is the normal process. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah, like they I used to train to click on links and emails, right? So Just like uh, years ago when I worked at, uh, at a bank, we would uh, train – They all everybody got regular cybersecurity training. And, it, and one of the things that we told them was no one in IT will ever, ever, ever call you and ask you for your password. <laughs> ever right? <laughs> right and then the next day after training someone from it would call them and ask them for their password and it worked <laughs> like 20 percent of the time yeah and they'd always right? give it they're like oh they're from it yeah. of course yeah, yeah they're from it we're like oh, but what could me. you do though to train users so i think that's like the hardest challenge right yeah, or one I of the biggest challenges right so I think it is, and I think it's not. I think we, I think in some ways we've been trained as people to stop listening to that voice in your head that says this is weird. Um, so I like to think of humans as almost like networks because I understand networks uh, and they kind of make sense. So imagine you're a, you're a network and you have this this intrusion detection in your head. And there are certain times we've gone through, we've all gone through this, where we're on the phone, somebody asks us a question, we we answer it, then they ask another question, we go wait. This is weird. Like, I've never been asked this question over the phone before. Nobody's ever asked me for my social. Nobody's asked me what the last four digits on my credit card. Like, no, no. But then we go, oh, well, this, you know, I want to be nice. I want to be polite. I'm not going to, right? So we get to that, mm. that where we just disregard all the alarms we have in our head because we're like, well, I'm on with this person and they must be well-meaning. Um, and I think we need to get back to you listening to those voices in your head. There's, you know what, this doesn't feel right, then it probably isn't. Um, if it's not something you normally do, if IT calls you up every day and asks for your password, you know, great, I, I get it. Yeah, you give them the password and no harm, no, no uh, fault on yours. But if they've never called you up and then they call you up, like that's weird, even if it really is IT. So... You know, yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah, I think you need to. I need. I, that's how I like to train users. Is like really listen to that voice in your head. If it's something you've never done before, 
um, don't start now, right? Mm -hmm. Find other ways to verify. But then how do you train them taking that and the flip side of that, right? How do you train them to start doing things then? Because if they've never done it before, then how do you start to build that voice in their head? Yeah, so that's a good question too. Um, What I typically do then is say, listen, when that voice goes off in your head um, and and you're like, this is odd, this isn't the right thing, what you need to do is start thinking about alternate paths, alternate uh, communication paths. So like Curtis had said, when the bank called him, he said, this is weird, I'm out. What I'm gonna do though is I'm gonna look on the back of my credit card I'm going to find that number that's on the back of my credit card, and I'm going to call you back. Now, would that be fail-safe 100% of the time? Uh, Listen, if you're getting attacked by a nation-state, they would have tapped into the phones, and it wouldn't have mattered, right? So we got to assume a nation-state's not coming after each of us because at that point, we're kind of in trouble anyways. Um, But if it was a random spammer, yeah, you verified via an alternate channel. So that's typically what I'll do is say, listen, if something's weird— Get out of that particular thing, whether it's an email, whether it's text messages, um, whether it's you know a phone call, just get out of that and find an alternate way to communicate. Mm. Now, I say alternate way, and I stress that because we, we had a customer um, that unfortunately lost uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in a, a scam. And um, their boss sent them an email saying, hey, we need to change our ACH. That should have been a red flag. How often do you change your ACH for bank? to bank transfers for a particular vendor. Um, and we said, and they, and that person then said, listen, I verified, I did what you told me to do. I verified to make sure that this was right. And we said, okay, cool. What alternate channel did you use? And, and we said, they said, well, I sent an email to my boss asking, you know, if this was a real transaction, we're like, but didn't your boss communicate over email? And they were like, yeah. And we're like, that's not an alternate path that you used the same path. So what had happened is the hacker actually, and because a lot of us would notice a like fake Gmail account saying it's your boss, this particular boss, their email got compromised. So they were Mm. in their inbox. So it's like, no, there's nothing you you, like different path, call them, talk to them face to face, especially when we're starting to talk with big money. Right. Yeah. That would be my suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen and heard of that. um, And I've seen it. And heard of it where where basically they have hacked the entire email system, yes. And that and then customers are using email as their MFA, right? And so yep. they 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 you know basically and they use that to basically at that point they've taken over, right? They can do yes. whatever they want. They can reset passwords. They can yep. then authenticate that with the MFA, uh, which is why email and, and SMS suck as MFAs. Um, and <laughs> right? you know, and speaking of speaking of which, you know, uh, we, you know, recently in the last few years, right, you know, I've been pushing more MFA on on myself as well, which includes pushing it on my wife. And sh- there's a lot of things that she doesn't do very often. And then she'll, I, I remember a couple of weeks ago where she went to go log on to something, and she got angry. She says, "Oh." crap like that's right i gotta go get that thing right i gotta go get the mfa thing to get the thing to put in the thing and i remember getting angry at that moment going yeah who cares about having so having security (laughs) i'm sorry that you got to spend an extra 30 seconds to protect all the money we have in that account uh right anyway i I remember that i actually remember that conversation yeah yeah um so let me let me ask you this Dwayne. so you know i so i like the password manager we're we're a big fan of those here good um and we've covered we've also covered the you know the major i believe just pause it was LastPass, right that was the major hack 
Last pass. Yeah, it was last pass. Was last pass. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, so yeah, we've also covered like the big last pass hack and it just like, it sounded bad. It got worse and it just, it just never mm-hmm. got better. Um, and so it's, so no, no one password manager is, is perfect. Uh, and if, if something becomes compromised, it's time to move, but that doesn't mean the concept of password managers is wrong and tell me something that's better. That's what I want to know. Right. right. Um, because, right. you know, you talk about password length. I've just been over because I have a ridiculous number of passwords in my password manager. <laughs> yes. um, the um, I, I just I keep setting them to like 20, like 20 has been my yeah. has been my number. Right. And um, by the way, while you were talking about it earlier, I counted the number of characters in my Wi-Fi password is, is 18. So I felt I felt better. Oh, so you're good. You're um, good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and it's not, it's not, and I've been pwned. Um, I am Good. definitely, I've definitely had some accounts that got, um, that got hacked or whatever, but who hasn't. Um, so besides password manager and MFA, uh, and, uh, and, um, pa- um, sorry, patch management, hmm. what would you think are the next sort of best bang for the buck that, and, and, and again, let's just, let's just do context. What our audience is typically really worried about is the ransomware hacks and an exfiltration um, of that data, which what we're hearing is that exfiltration is now step one of a coordinated attack. Right. Um, (laughs) So that's why we talk a lot about lateral movement, right? Trying to limit, limit lateral movement. Uh, What would you say are the next few things that would stop a guy like you? Yeah, that's a great question. So here I'm gonna I'll I'll spill some of the secrets um from our from our red team tactics. Um and and sadly I'd say all of these are gonna deal distill down to policy. That's it. It's gonna be here are the policies you should be following to make yourself more secure. Um so Xfil is always one of the big things um that, that a lot of our customers are concerned with as well, especially when we're doing banks, um financial organizations, right. embassies, that sort of stuff. Anything we can Xfil is important. And and that's why <clears throat> there's this massive DLP market out there, right? Mm-hmm. Looking for exfiltration of data. Did it go over email? Is somebody trying to upload a file to a website? Something along those lines. Um, I can tell you uh, the red teamers as well as the the hackers out there are not uploading data over port 80. They're not uploading data over port 443. Um, They're not, you know, they're not using the standard channels because there are so many other ways for us to exfil data out of an organization. Um, So for example, the first thing we do when we break into a company um, and we can, get... Can I, can I, sorry to interrupt you, but can I ask you a question there? Sure. Why yeah. not? Because if they were uploading over that port, it would seem oh, like it would be it, a lot easier to do. It's absolutely a lot easier to do, but it's, it's A, it's too watched. Um, so everybody knows to watch all the web traffic. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So even even if I were to break up what I'm exfilling into small parts and then like turn mm-hmm. it into hex and then try and post it to a website, a lot of your DLP solutions are looking at the reputation of the website I'm posting to, right? And they're st- they start doing that analytics of that communications chain. Um, and, and HTML communications, HTTP communications are very well understood. So it's easy for a corporate organization to go, well, we're not going to allow anything out other than through this proxy. And we, we're going to then man in the middle with a certificate so we can see all that traffic. So it's, okay. it's risky for somebody who wants to break into a company and, and steal data um, to, to go over those ports. They just won't anymore. It just doesn't make okay. sense. 
And that is, it's super, it's, it's like, it's like we're, we're sitting out on, in a field, right? And, and port 80 is this steel door in the middle of the field. And, and we go, well, we could go through that steel door, um, or we could walk around the side of it <laughs> and not use the steel door, right? So for us, we're like, it's just easier not to use the steel door. For example, I'm guessing at least your home networks, but probably your corporate networks, you don't block traffic out. Most people right. don't. They block yeah, traffic right. in, right? And right. then for DLP solutions, they look at web traffic. They look at, you know, um, maybe even uh, they look at, you know, other ancillary traffic, but most of the time not, um, like web sockets and that sort of stuff. But most of the time they don't. So when we get into an organization, I mean, one of the first things we do, have you guys ever, um, you take a file, uh, I assume you've used Windows in the past. Um, we use Linux a lot, but take a file, right click on it, drag it to your desktop and create a shortcut. Mm -hmm. Right. Pretty simple. And then you double click on it and it opens up the shortcut. Well, what if that shortcut reached out to a file server? Right. Well, you could do that. You could grab a file off a file server and create a shortcut. When you double click on it, it opens up the file on the file server. Well, what if that file server was on the Internet? Can you do that? Well, you can. Yeah. 445, which is SMB traffic, does travel out over the Internet. Oh. Most people don't ever don't do it. it. So it's easy for us to... What we do is we'll go to AWS, spin up a server, turn on 445 and responder and a listener. Um, and then we drop this shortcut at the customer site. Um, and then we just wait. And what happens is everybody who browses that share doesn't even touch the file, but browses the share. Your file explorer wants to put an icon on every file. So when it does, it touches that file and it goes to figure out what type of file it is. So it reaches out to us and gives us your hash, your handshake for the network because it assumes it's connecting to. And, but who would stop SMB traffic going out over the internet, right? So this is one of the tactics we'll use. So then, you know, we were working with certain organizations where they're like, we have DLP, we have blah, 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 we have all this other good stuff. And, and literally all we had to do to exfil the data was map a Windows drive. <laughs> out to the internet and copy the data from one server to another. And it just copied with Windows copy. And they're like, yeah, we didn't see 10 gig worth of data, customer data, just go out over SMB because nobody's watching it. Um, so, the, so this is where I say a lot of it comes down to process. It's, you know, uh, least privileged process on traffic going out of the organization. If it's a, not a port that you need, shut it down. Uh, 445 should never go out to the internet ever. There, there's no reason for it. Um, a lot of your home routers will actually block it by default, but corporate, no, they're okay with it, which is just weird. Um, so I'd say part of that, part of that is process. Lease privileges on the way out. If you don't need a port, lock it down. That's going to shut down a lot of the exfil tactics that we would use. Um, there are still some exfil tactics, tactics that we will use that would be hard for you to shut down. Um, there was one, I can't remember, uh, there was one system. We had an administrator, we got access to this box and um, he said, listen, I'll give you a jump station because most, most of our engineers work on a jump station. And, and he gave us this jump station and, you know, God bless him. He was, he, he really wanted to get the gold, the gold star on the, the, the pen test. And the jump station had access to nothing. Like it didn't even have access to the internet. Like when we <laughs> connected to it over remote desktop, this thing couldn't open files, couldn't like, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. Um, 
And we're like, okay, what do people use this for, honestly? And he's like, oh, you know, we may have applications on there at some point. It's like, okay. So it was completely locked down. And the way we were able to get our tools in and on that box was through DNS. I was going to ask about DNS, yeah. Yeah. Um, And listen, (laughs) this thing couldn't communicate with the internet, but it's on a Windows domain. So we would then request through the domain controller to go out to our hacker.com website and it couldn't pull down files. This is DNS, but you can request text records, which is the associated data with the DNS records. So we would encode like the first 64 bytes of a file (laughs) in hex, pull that down. And once we had all the hex bits, we reassembled it into an executable um, at the local (laughs) station. So, and, and it works both ways. You got exfil and infill that way. So yep. uh, there are some that are really hard to block. You'd have to have very specialized tools watching um, for those types of infill, exfil. But I say just start with the yep. basics. Shut down the ports that are going out that you don't absolutely need. And it gives you a lot less to look at. Like, did we have 100,000 DNS requests yesterday and now we have 2.5 million? That's probably weird. We probably should look at that, right? Um, it'll give you less of a, a surface of attack. Hmm. It was interesting because I had a conversation with a cyber person um, and he was crapping all over the idea of using DNS as an attack surface. Um, (laughs) Just like, it's like, it's just not, it's just nobody does that. And I'm like, okay. Um, In a totally lockdown environment, I'll tell you, it's a pain in the butt. Um, because it's slow. Think um, like if you guys ever used a, a 14.4 modem back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. It's it's like that where you're like, okay, DIR from our side. And it's like, um, so from nostalgia standpoint, it's pretty cool. But um, so, yeah, I get that. It's not it's not the best channel, but if it's the only one available, yeah, we'll absolutely use it. Right. Interesting. Um and I could talk. I could talk to you all day. It's both, it's both very interesting and exciting, <laughs> and super depressing. Um, yeah, the um, because you know we we had we talked to somebody yesterday, and basically their point, and and it's a point that I agree with, but um, you know, and that is, you know, I I would summarize it as this: don't spend all your time trying to stop this stuff learn how to detect it when it's happening and learn how to respond when it, when it has happened. Right. Yep. Learn how to watch for exfil. But in your case, you're, you're saying that some of this stuff is going to be nearly impossible to detect. Look, you know, stop. I think what you're saying is stop the really obvious stuff. Yes. Right. Uh, you can, you can do the, you can watch the port 80, right. But you're saying that nobody's going to, so, because I, I had heard that they're still using like these, um, and their names are escaping me, but like these file sharing sites, um, yes, like like mega mega file, <laughs> like mega whatever. uploads and mega yeah, downloads. Like that, that they were still and, using yeah, mega file, yeah. And wouldn't those go over port eighty? Yeah, and they do, and that's why most most people aren't using those anymore. Like it used to be, um, what was it, uh, paste bin and that sort of stuff. Like people were finding these sites where you could paste up a lot of data, and and the problem is DLP solutions really have caught on to those. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can tell you, as a so as a developer, uh, and as a um, a guy who's trained in writing viruses that bypass any antivirus on the planet, it's really not that hard to open up any <laughs> other port and start transferring data because nobody's looking for it at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even <clears throat> silly things like um, so, okay, uh, SSH. 
Okay, so if, if, ever, if you've ever, uh, you know, gone on a Linux box or whatever and you want to connect to it remotely, use SSH, which is a secure right. tunnel. Um, well, it's a secure tunnel because it's encrypted. So if I just SSH and SCP copy a file yeah. to a remote right. Linux box, that's an entirely encrypted channel. Nobody's going to see what's in that. So why are you not blocking, like, port 22 out? Right. Oh, well, you know, one of our developers said they need to connect to some remote, uh, you know, Linux box in AWS. Like, OK, well, there's better ways to do that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you'll start to see a lot. Of, and, and you'll start to see a lot of these people using things like, um, you know, even like so a lot of the Cobalt beacons, uh, Cobalt Strike beacons and that sort of stuff are, are starting to use different ports just so that they're not detectable because everybody's looking for 80 and 443. Right. So mm -hmm. and it's just easy to use something else. So my summary of what I heard all over that is blocking outgoing ports that, yes. that you don't need, right? D disallow 100%. all and allow the ones that you know you need. You'll break a couple of That's things, true. I'm guessing, right? Yep. You'll break yep. a couple of things in the beginning. You'll fix those things, and then you'll be better. But, but isn't that sort of supposed to be the way you approach network firewalls, yes. right? It's always a deny all and you add access for what you need. You, but I hey, think, but I think Dwayne's like... making the very valid point that people haven't historically done yeah. that going no. out. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's weird because like, um, and it's the same thing with Windows, right? Windows initially started with everything's open and you need to lock it down. And that's why they got the, the bad rep of being the unsecure operating system. And, and Linux started the entire opposite. There's nothing running on it unless you open it up. Um, right. Networking has always been trust the inside, not the outside. Right. So we, mm. we've been trained to if they're on the inside, oh, they already have access to the jewel. So, so who cares? We don't need to worry about them going out. But but the problem is, especially with ransomware and whatnot, the going out part is the important part at this point. Um, so, yeah, you absolutely want it. And, and I like to think of it as a least privilege uh, network stack. Right. So exactly mm. what you're talking about is. <clears throat> What privileges do you need going out? And let's say we manage a $22 billion organization. Yeah, you're not going to set everything to deny out and then open it up. But what you could do is you probably have pretty sophisticated firewalls. You set them in monitoring mode. Uh, and at the end of a month, you see what ports are in use. Maybe you allow those and everything else gets blocked, right? So there are ways to do this without sort of breaking the organization. But I'll tell you, the same thing applies to when, like um, corporate resources, we see far too often where we we're in an organization and it's like, oh, here's a public share that everybody has access to. And oh, by the way, it's got, uh, you know, we've seen things like um, social security numbers. We've seen applications for mortgages. We've seen uh, HR files. And we're like, why do we with no account have access to these things? And they're like, I don't know. People just put them in the public share. It's easy for anybody to access it. Um, so least privilege needs to be used everywhere. But yeah, um, that's, your, the that's your policy thing that you were talking about. Yes, right? exactly. Um, the concept of least privilege. Yeah, um, yep. that is a really good concept and policy that people should have everywhere. Let me let me ask you this. So what so a company comes to you and and you know and they're like hack us or whatever i don't know exactly what, exactly what they say but they, so what what do they say and what do they get out of it right yes. when they walk away from having having been summarily beaten um and and, and shamed um what 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 do they get out of it at that point yeah, that's a that's another good question so 
we do um, the way we do red team engagement is a little bit different than most cybersecurity companies. Um, so the heart of our organization is very much a training company. Um, you know, I was a Microsoft certified trainer for decades. Um, my CEO was also a certified trainer for decades. So we're all about teaching as much as we possibly can. So we bring that into our red team engagement. So the way it starts is typically people do come to us and say, hey, listen, we're not really sure what our cybersecurity posture is. Can you test it? Right? Can you hack us? Um, and we'll get some information from them. We'll obviously get the T's and C's sign that says you can't throw us in jail and all that other good stuff. Because <laughs> yeah. um, we have important. had people come up to us. I, we had one guy come up to us say, I'd like to engage you to, to, to hack into this bank. You know, I'm, I'm their IT manager. And we're like, okay, cool. But we don't see that you're their IT manager on LinkedIn um, or anything along those lines. He's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's fine. Um, but all things will go through me. So, And I was like, okay, so we can't talk to the bank and you want us to... No, we're not doing that. Um, yeah. <laughs> we talk to somebody at the bank. But for the most part, they come to us, say, hack us. Here's the resources. Um, you know, ideally, they say, here's our IP addresses that are valid to hit. Go nuts. Um, sometimes they, they kind of tunnel us into, I only want you to focus on these systems. But they get kind of a better risk assessment if it's let us look at everything. And then what we typically do is uh, we'll literally open up a, a Zoom meeting um, from 9 in the morning till usually two in the morning, um, where their blue team can join and watch what we do. And we'll talk them through it. But like, I know, and it's, it feels weird. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm beating up your child, but let me explain how I'm doing it. Um, yeah. And they have to sit there and watch. I guess that makes it awkward. Let me but, explain um, why your child is ugly. <laughs> right, exactly. And we'll show you empirical proof. So um, what's nice about that is far, you know, A, it gives, it's more collaborative. It's not like I'm delivering a report at the end and the blue teamers are like, well, those red team guys suck, right? It's, it's hey, we want to work with you. We want you to know these tactics and watch how we're moving around the network. Um, and, and B, what we typically see from the blue team is they'll go, hey, guys, guys, you know that system over there you haven't looked at yet? Yeah, it's been causing us trouble. <laughs> we wouldn't mind if you, you know kind of tried to push that over a little bit, <laughs> right? So we're like, all right, cool. We'll take a look at that system. So, um, so we, t we use it as a training engagement usually for like a week with their blue team and or red team if they have one, giving them other ways to think about the network and lock things down. And if we find something mission critical, we stop and we work with them to fix whatever it is. We find another hacking team in there, um, which we have, um, or we'll find... Oh, really? uh, yeah, we've we've definitely found indicators of compromise IOCs um, for for other teams in there, and that's an that's an all engagement stop, and we call in the and, everybody. And, and when say, you okay, say other teams, you mean you mean bad guys at that point? Yeah, yeah, and we'll <clears> um, my team will go into forensics mode. We'll track them down, and we'll be like, all right, here here's where they came in. Here's who they are. Here's right if the, especially if the customer doesn't have a threat hunting team. Um, so that's typically what we do, and then and then the report we deliver to them is very actionable it's here was the issue we found here's the risk here's what could happen here's how you fix it and here's how you run the commands yourself that we ran to exploit it so until these come back clean there's no need to you know check back in or anything like that just go through so we want them to have all the tools um and and we even tell customers after being with us for a year or two like go find another security vendor like you know it behooves you like 
We look yeah. at it one way and we, and we start to get tunnel vision when we hit this network over and over again, go find somebody else who's going to look at it in a different way. Right. Um, so that's, that's how we approach it. So what they get from us is, you know, training a report that gives them some actionable Intel and how they can test their own network. Um, and then advice that they can hopefully learn, uh, and we'll, we'll adopt more customers. <clears throat> oh, I like that's that. awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I like that a lot. I I'm curious to know, if you've ever had a situation where like you've got the blue team there and they get like angry because oh, yeah. you know it's like oh, yeah. it's like yeah. crap okay <laughs> yeah we've we've okay so we've had situations where we've had uh developers of applications on the line where we just tear the application apart and and they're they're very much like oh man like and we tell them that like they're like what the f and i should have been better at this and i'm like listen like if you're not a if I, i've been a developer uh actually since the early 90s mid 90s and 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 the cybersecurity focus since you know 2000 so I, and there are a lot of these things I miss, and I'm solely focused on cyber. So don't beat yourself up. This is what we do, right? Yeah. We specialize in these things. Um, and I like that type of mentality because that person wants to be better. Um, I mm. have had, we did have one blue teamer on a, uh, it was a massive uh, Fortune 500 company. Um, and he was the network security guy. And he was on the call. And, and every time we run into a finding, we'd be like, oh, all of your, your switches actually are doing uh, TFTP automatically from an IP address that doesn't exist. We just switched over to that IP address. And now we can feed configurations to all of your switches and that sort of stuff. And he would go, well, you know, that's uh, that was by design. Um, that's like, <laughs> like, and we're like, oh, okay, that's cool. We're just, you know, we're just saying this is, and, and every single time, we would get this, and and we finally, we finally at one point went through and exploited it, um, a particular switch config, and was able to pull down all the information on the switch config and decode this guy's password. And we're like, oh well, the way that we broke the entire network and became domain admin is because this administrator here, here's his <laughs> password on the switch, and by the way, it's the same password on the domain. And he's just like. Oh. I was like, yeah, yeah. We try not to be <laughs> adversarial, but occasionally we will get someone who uh, will will sometimes they need invoke that. the yeah. ire of the red yeah. team. Yeah, your your goal is to bring them along with you, like you said, for them to be educated. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, as a person who's been on the receiving end of that kind of stuff, sometimes it's hard to yes. to not oh, to not take it personal, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I, I, um, I have one final area and we've gone a little longer than we typically go, <clears throat> but I have one final area that I want to ask you about. And that is, so, you know, at its heart, our podcast is about backups. Mm -hmm. What, what do you know about backup and recovery systems as an, as a, as an, uh, a, um, what's the term that you use, uh, an attack surface? What do you know about backup systems as an attack surface? So I have a very poignant example. Um, we just recently um, were doing a pen test two weeks ago uh, in an organization where we breached it over the backup system. Um, and <laughs> so they were all virtualized, of course, um, and they were backing up all of their VMs. And we got access to the backup manager because the password for the backup manager was weak. Um, it was actually default passwords. Because people think to themselves, it's a backup manager. What do I care, right? What, are they going to restore it? 
And that's what we did. We actually took the backup of the domain controller and pulled it over the internet to us and restored <gasps> oh. it in my own lab. And then we're able to tear it apart, pull every single username and password and all that good stuff. And, they, and at that point, so, so I would be careful. That repository is just as sensitive as your primary network. It's not only your path to recovering from disaster, but from an attacker, I'm always looking for backup systems. Um, and what I can pull out of those systems. Right? <laughs> Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's like pulling that data off, um, you know, a backup accounts should have strong passwords and should be audited. Backup systems should be audited for who's trying to log in, etc. Um, backup service accounts that are running on boxes, we've seen far too often just have weak passwords. Um, and it's super easy for us to then compromise. And the thing about backup, backup is awesome, actually. Um, the, the backup yeah. service right on Windows gives you the ability to read any file without being audited. Yeah. So, so you have all these auditing tools looking for users like reading files and opening secure files and whatever. But if you can request the SE backup, right, you can touch anything and nobody ever sees it. So from a, from a, from a surface of attack standpoint, like backups are like a win button for us. We're always looking for like, hey, do they have a backup system? Is there an account we can compromise that has SE backup rights? Because if so you know, money, we can go open any file we want and nobody will wow. know we were there. So yeah, I, I would absolutely say uh, surface of attack is large there. Um, and you really need to go back to basics, make sure good passwords, strong auditing on backup systems, and, and don't just think it's your path for recovery. It could also be an attack target. That's crazy. I did not know that about the <laughs> Windows roll. So. It's so cool. <laughs> so many cool things you could do. <laughs> Privilege escalation for ransomware can be done through backups. I mean, there's oh, so many cool things. <sighs> okay, I was, I was, Curtis, I, was <laughs> yeah. I was, I was excited, and then I, and then I just, I just got really depressed right at the end there. I'm like, God, it could be used for, yeah, you know, the thing that we try to tell, like, I've been trying to, I, I, what this, this is going to sound really weird, especially given that you joined, that you know, you cross over into cybersecurity in 2000. What I think we're having at this point is a 9-11 moment. And, and here's mm. what I mean by that. Up until 9-11, the thinking was, oh, well, just like don't do anything crazy with the guys that are control, you know, that are the, the, the hijackers. Uh, okay, they can have access to the, the thing, but what are they going to do? Right. They're going to they're right. going to want to land the plane. They're going to want to hold everybody hostage so that they can release some prisoners and, a pri you know, no one had ever said, hey, let's go train, you know, train the hijackers on right. how to how to land, a, you know, a 747 mm -hmm. so that they're going to use the, the plane as a bomb. Right. Yes. Um, as the yeah. weapon itself. And what that's what's happened with backup in the last, let's say, five years is yes. that the ransomware folks are definitely um, they're, they have started seeing that two things. One is that if they can take out the backup system, you're more likely to pay the ransom. And two, the backup yeah. system is, like you said, this massive attack service that that can be used for exfiltration. I did not of actually gold. think until you <laughs> until you mentioned I didn't think about it being used for privilege escalation, uh, which makes it even more depressing. Uh, and and the the thing is that so many times the backup system is administered by the new guy 
Yes. Right. It's it's that was job. my first job. First job I ever got. That was your first yeah. job too. Yeah, yeah. mine too. Exactly. And, uh, and I'll right. date myself. It was it was these DLT tapes I was pulling out every day and then putting in these new these yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tape backups. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good time. Good times. Uh, well, Dwayne, this has been fascinating. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to trim any of this down to our usual show size. So I hope that folks have enjoyed staying, uh, staying with us this amount of time. I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was my pleasure, honestly. And this is this was super easy, super comfortable, honestly. Any guy, anytime you guys want to talk cyber or latest attacks, yeah. just hit me up. I'd love to chat. All the time. Hey, all the time. Yes, all want to exactly what I was stuff? thinking. Yeah, I was like, just hearing the stories you talk about, Dwayne, it's like fascinating. It's like a world that like I've never really been exposed to, and just hearing the stories firsthand. Like Curtis always talks about backup stories, which is great because I've never cut my teeth on backup. But like mm-hmm. hearing like the stories you or the experiences you have, I think it's eye opening. <laughs> and horrifying and, and you notice me i get giddy when things break yeah. like the internet's on fire i'm the guy going Woo-hoo! like let's see where this goes which i know is a little sadistic i get it but <laughs> yeah well um yeah so thanks uh thanks again also to our listeners uh you know we'd be nothing without you and remember remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all <laughs>
it'll be completely done.